Hello, and welcome to another episode of Booncast. I'm Nick Tishua. Today, I'm speaking with Harvey Rice and Jackie Cole, the authors of the new book, Flight of the Bone Monks. Before we get started, just a couple brief announcements. There will be a few upcoming teachings in March. Uh, March 7th, we have Blue Zambala, which will be both on Zoom and in person at your retreat center. And then on March 12th, there is the practice of Tumo of the Dzogchen Kusum Rangshar. That one will be an in-person practice retreat. And similarly, on March 19th, there will be a Kyungmar Drua retreat uh, also at your retreat center. As always, if you're feeling generous, please consider a donation to Yerubon Center or to Bun Children's Home by going to yerubonecenter.org donations. Okay, please help me welcome Harvey Rice and Jackie Cole. Thank you so much for joining me, Harvey Rice and Jackie Cole. Uh, I really appreciate you both talking to me. This was a really engaging, exciting book to read. Um, and yeah, I'm so excited to to talk to you about it. Um, I think we've known each other since maybe 2016. We met, I think, at the Kyungmar Retreat in 2016 in Minnesota, if that sounds right. Yes, yes I think uh... so. Okay. And I'm guessing, were, were you kind of already working on this project at that time? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had, uh, we started this, the, the, it became a, 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 a sort of a goal of ours to do this in 2011. 2011. And okay. we, so we've, our first trips for interview to uh, Nepal and India were in uh, 2012. And then um, back to Nepal and then Tibet in 2014. Wow. And then back to India for His Holiness's funeral in 2017. And yeah. then lots of other travel in between for interviews and pilgrimages and so on and so forth. So, wow. Yeah. No, I'm so excited to dive into all this. Um, Let's back up a second, though. We're talking about the book Flight of the Bun Monks, which is coming out at the end of this month. Um, 27th. The 27th of February, 2024. Uh, so let's just start with a kind of high-level question. What is the book about? What's Can you give kind of our listeners kind of a high-level synopsis of what we're talking about here? Uh, so it's, it's a story of three monks. Um, the primary character is Tenzin Namdok and how they escape from Tibet and is and they see all the war and destruction in Lhasa and Tenzin barely makes it out alive. He's wounded. And so that's one thing, just a story of them, their escape. And then they are brought together by a uh, a Brit, a British uh, Tibetologist, David Snellgrove, who takes them to London and 
from there, they make contacts that allow Tenzin to finance uh, the building of a Bun community in exile and the construction of a, eventually the construction of a monastery to where uh, he trained Geshes and spread Bon, and he saved it at the time he founded that Bon community. It was in danger that the bond, the whole culture and religion was in danger of being severely diminished, and at best being taken under control by the Chinese communists and having them dictate how the religion um, was. Um, <clears throat> Practiced. Or it's yeah. No, I, yeah, I I did know about all this, but I, one of the things I really appreciated was how uh, obvious and how like it, detailed you made it for how close Boon really kind of came to extinction um, during those moments, and I, it I, like I had known in some ways that it had been you know so close to being kind of obliterated in some ways or like you say at least completely changed by the way it's practiced by the chinese um but um yeah the uh, it's very the book details very clearly how close that really that really came but bun prior to the chinese takeover was a minority religion anyway it had been banned from tibet in the seventh century and then was allowed to go ahead and began to be practiced again in the 11th century. So we had an, and, and at that, even with that, there was a lot of uh, negative um, thinking about Bun, the black magic and all kinds of awful things that people thought about Bun. But Buddhist. mostly by Buddhist, of course, but by, um, but by 1950 in that area there in era when the Chinese came invaded Tibet Bun was about a third of the population or was practiced by about a third of the population and one of the things that interesting things that we found and I don't know why I didn't realize this previously was that um the the different sects and different religions were practiced in the communities it's sort of almost tribal and not necessarily tribal of course but in areas so a certain if if you told someone where you were from they would know what religion was practiced in that area so a whole community a village a, a province would be bumpo or they'd be galupa or whatever whichever it was so excuse me so um the when the chinese invaded they didn't see any difference between bun and the buddhism they just destroyed everything and that was because the government was so intertwined into the, the religion and government was so intertwined so in order to, to suppress the government they had to suppress the monastics and um so then in exile Bun, the Bumpos were didn't have any way to distinguish themselves separately from everyone else. They were reliant upon whatever goodwill the, the Indians or the Nepalese in um, different refugee camps and so forth. And they were just all put together with the Buddhists. And so they didn't have it. And then, and because they were a minority to start with, then 
being they didn't have any way to stand up as bumpos. The prayers done at lunch were Buddhist prayers. The evening meditations were Buddhist chants. So the bumpos were just sort of shrinking within themselves until um, Jungsen, Jungsen Tenzin Namdak, his eminence, was able to f establish a, um, a community in Dalanji, India. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's so amazing. Um, so uh, tell me, I actually saw that you um, had your first interview listed in the book, at least, was in 2010. So you said, mentioned maybe starting around 2011. Um, so around that period, what kind of brought you to start telling the story? Like what uh, did you know a big portion of the story and wanted to retell it or what what sort of brought you to the story and, and made you realize you wanted to tell it? Well, I'd been going to teachings and, you know, as when you go to a teaching, of course, the very first thing that any of our teachers say is their lineage. They introduce themselves, their lineages, their how they learned this, who they got it from, the transmission the history of the teaching. So th this was in it, but it took me a while of being in the Bun tradition or studying the Bun tradition for that stuff to begin to sink in mm -hmm. as real history and something to be interested in. And then along with that, because of that lineage and history and so forth, I be we began to hear stories from our teachers about Jungsen and his holiness and so on and so forth and their ex their um, troubles and struggles that they had Jungsen being shot and so on and so forth so and at the same time I begin to realize that we're all getting older <clears throat> or as someone said today more experienced <laughs> and I knew they were as well and I thought this is this is these are stories if they when they die these stories are going are gone. And so I was really feeling like it was important to try to get these stories down. Not necessarily that we were the ones to do it, but that the stories needed to be recorded before we lost them. Um, there were at the time there were only three or four of the masters who had been had escaped from Tibet that were still alive, and because as as the time went on, so that that was the impetus. And Harvey, being a journalist, was the a basis for us having the ability to do such a, a a wonderful story. Very cool. Yeah. So maybe what what was your process then? How did you dis okay, you decide to do it, you know it's important, you want to tell it. Um what you mentioned traveling a, a lot to India and Tibet. Uh can you kind of walk us through your process for your interviews and how you did your research? Well the I'll I'll go with the interviews. The first thing we did was to ask permission. And blessings. So we approached uh, um, uh, the leader of the founder of Ligmentia, which is where my my sangha is, Tenzinwango Rinpoche. So we talked to him, and then we started asking permission from His Holiness and from Youngs and Tenzin Namdok for the. Um, blessings of doing this of, of doing this project and we were very grateful that they said yes and so 
off we went. So we knew that the first thing we needed to do was to get interview with them on what what the, the beginning of the story and what their story was. Harvey? Yes, and um, <clears throat> so we, we did, you know, we started out by doing interviews. And interestingly enough, the... <laughs> You know, we went to when we went to India to interview His Holiness. Uh, he knew what why you know he had already sanctioned uh, us coming there, and so he knew what we were going to ask him about. And so we get in, we had to wait outside. He had some other uh, people he was talking to, and we finally get in, sit down in a room with him, and he goes, "No questions." <laughs> He said, and we're just like, I was going, what? My jaw hit the floor. And, uh, but he, what it was though, he knew what we were there about. So he figured he was just going to tell us what we needed to know. And we didn't need to ask him any questions. <laughs> he was actually quite gracious because we were there for three or four days and he met with us each day and was quite gracious in um sharing of his story yes and then fortunately we were able to connect with Santa Corme who was lifelong friends with his holiness and having trained in western academia actually becoming quite renowned in western academia he understood the kind of information we needed in order to fill out the story mm. so it wasn't just a this and then this and then this but we could actually our goal was to sort of do a story where you are there and you can actually feel and see and understand what they were going through so to have the details for that we needed somebody who would be willing to help us with that um, his holiness of course all of those minor details are insignificant mm. and not worthy of of remembering or writing down but Santin Carme was so gracious and so wonderful to spend hours and hours and hours with us talking about the Tibetan life and the culture and the clothes people wore and how people made a living and how they traveled from here to there so he was really uh, very important in helping us to flesh out the story and to make it more real for everybody yeah. Okay. Amazing. Uh, that sort of brings up another question I had, which is, um, you know, this whole story could have been told in a, in a bit more of a, like a historical and academic way. And there are several historical facts throughout, but, um, you know, it is really engaging. It really does put you in the shoes of these characters. Um, so what was the decision to, to go that way to kind of make this, um, uh, sort of in, personal in this way. Well, one one thing is that we wanted to introduce Bun to the world, and you can't do that if you're writing a religious tract or something that goes into Bun practice. Or and also we thought this was an important piece of history that would be lost once these the protagonist in our story died, and they were already in their 80s when we started the book so we thought we to make it 
so that a general, we want to write a book that a general audience could pick up the book and be interested in reading about their story and about and learn about Bun without being preached at or mm-hmm. going into some Zochin, you know, uh, description and the way it would just be incomprehensible to most people. Even people that study it find it incomprehensible at times (laughs) when I understand. So so anyways, we want to make it as readable as possible so we could reach as wide an audience as possible and not just write something that all the Bonpos would say, oh, this is great. and, And then no one else would ever hear about it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, very cool. Um, in so addition sorry. to in addition to the interviews that we've done with a wide variety of people, interestingly enough, we were aided in that by every time we finished an interview with someone, we would say to them, is there anybody else we should be talking to? Mm-hmm. Do you know anyone else that has information about this? And so they, as we went along, we began to find more and more sources that would help us with this. And then we also have a number of Tibetan history books that we were using to um, get as sources. So we probably have 50, more than 50 books of a library now of Tibetan history and different you know, things like that, so that we could cross-reference interviews with um, historical sources. Yeah, wow, very cool. And and how about uh, some of the travel? So um, can you talk a little bit about where you went to kind of help flesh out these stories? Well, we started with India and Nepal to interview His Holiness and Yungsan. And then from there, we went, decided we wanted to go to Tibet in order to pilgrimage the areas where they had been. So we did that. Tibet was an extremely difficult trip. Mm-hmm. It is was difficult physically because of the altitude. And it was also difficult psychologically because of the um, totalitarian repressive regime there. Mm. Um, So we flew from Nepal into, uh, from Kathmandu into Lhasa. And then we stayed in Lhasa and we were able to tour, go over to Minri Monastery and tour um, uh, around Lhasa, some of the places like visited Deprong, where Santin Carme and His Holiness had been to graduates, essentially graduate school. And then I was able to go with um, up on the Chongtong to where the cave was that um, Yungzin had stayed for four years with his teacher before he went to Minri to get his Geshe degree. So that was all very. Um, uh, uh, enlightening experientially to mm. be in Tibet and to see those places. We wanted to go over to Sezik and um, um, Murori, but the we couldn't get a permit to go over there. It was the year mm. of the tiger, and that's the year that the Tibetans go to um, circumambulate Mount Kailash. They didn't mm. want any Westerners in mixed in with all of that and so the um, Sezik is in the same province as Mount Kailash and so they wouldn't give us a permit to go over there so but we were able to do the things that we did and it was quite um, informative in terms of being able to help us describe 
in the book what it was like to be there. And yeah. I should, as a little side note, um, I didn't go up on the Chongtong because we actually initially we set out for the Chongtong, and I was with Jackie, and we and we drove all day and set up a camp that night, and I got a, a bladder infection. Mm. It was very painful. And they, so we drove all the way back to Lhasa and I ended up in a Chinese hospital for two days. Yeah. And so they, they went on to the Chong Tong. Well, well once we knew well, he was going to be yeah, okay going, and was yeah. discharged in the hospital, we set him up in the hotel in Lhasa and we went on up into the, up, but, on up to the Chong Tong. But I have so, to say that, uh, <clears throat> after we got into this room they we well first they tried to put me in this little tiny room and it had dirty sheets and stuff and so we had a guide with us who just started yelling at them and and said no this will never do so they put us in this luxury hospital suite that had two rooms you know it had a room for guests and then this big room for the patient and uh, so anyways, and they ran all these kind of tests on me. I mean, every test you could imagine, they had a specialist. And the whole thing cost, we got the bill. It was like less than $200. Oh, wow. <laughs> which would have been, you know, more like $10,000 if it had been in the yeah. United States. Yeah. yeah, wow. So in some so, ways, yeah, bright sides to everything. Um, yes, we were, we, were, we were thankful for good medicine over there. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Wow. No, I, I really do appreciate you having gone there because like you say, the descriptions were so much kind of clearer and able to kind of put you in the place of that, but also the images you were able to take and include in the book, um, were very helpful as well. So, um, okay. I, you know, something I was thinking, thinking about is, Many of us, you know, Western practitioners, you know, feel a connection to, you know, these great masters um, who some of us have had the opportunity to learn from. Uh, but at the very least, these masters taught our current masters today. Um, so, you know, when I hear about Tenzin or his eminence, Yongzin Rinpoche, carrying the reliquary of Nyameshir of Jeltsin and hiding in a, in a cave, and then being shot. I, I did not know these stories. And so it was honestly like shocking reading some of these things. And I knew they had gone through difficulties, but I just had not heard this. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of amazing how um, close everything was to kind of falling apart. Um, how much of this did you know coming into this story and how much was it more like uh, like what was did did some of these things shock you as you learned them or did you know oh yeah oh yeah it? we knew that youngson had been shot and that's basically all we knew i that's think that's all we knew was that he had been shot and came out and was <clears throat> able to and went, had spent months in a concentration camp but then was able to make it out and that's all we knew. So all of this, absolutely. I mean, we would go to an interview and we would hear this interview and we'd come back and I'd go, 
Harvey, can you believe what is just what they're telling us? Mm -hmm. And then we'd go back. So we then we'd think it through and we'd think, okay, we're going to write, you know, and then we'd start, start outlining it and we'd go, wait a minute, this doesn't, you know, we need to have another, <laughs> we have to go back and ask them again to make sure that we have this clarified. And so it was years, multiple interviews over years. Now we were unfortunate to lose um, His Holiness before we were able to do multiple interviews with him, but we had Samton Carme and then, but Jungsen being able to interview Jungsen and to double check things with uh, Kimpo, Kimpo Tempo Yunjung was extraordinarily helpful in terms of being, um, he was at all of our interviews with Jungsen and would double check things in Tibetan. We interviewed in English, so that's an interesting thing but we interviewed in english but kimpo was there and both he and i recorded all of the interviews so it's very precious very precious and if there were any questions he could uh, talk to Jungsen in um, tibetan and clarify things and then sometimes we would have questions in between being able to interview and um, uh, kimpo could answer them or could check for us in terms of getting the answers to having it correctly. So you ask about the style. And um, at one point, Kimpo asked us how our book was going. We said, yes, it's, it's going well. I said, we're writing it like a novel. And he said, good. Wow. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm glad he approved of that because it's, it's the right choice. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, we, I thought originally that the story would end at the border when they got out, but there's so much more. Right. And so we just kept going with it as we had information. And so we just kept going with it and it just made the whole thing more complete to take it full circle. Yeah. I found, I also found um, the character Sangye, uh, His Holiness, the 33rd Menrichs, and super interesting. You know, I, I hear, I've heard stories about His Holiness um, at many teachings, but I've, I, there's many things I didn't know. Like just the fact that he was such a traveler early on and, you know, he was the one who was, you know, sent to collect these Bun texts by his teacher and bring him back to the monastery. And he's the one who chose to go to Lhasa. And after they made it to uh, India, he was the one traveling around the countries trying to collect texts for their uh, uh, printing press. And so I just found that all super fascinating. Um, I also never really understood, you know, how how it worked that there were now two Menry monasteries and uh, there would be a... Uh, um, a head abbot of each of them and how it sort of worked that the monastery in India became the uh became the head monastery of Bun. Like it put so many pieces together about how that worked. And and hearing about Latini Madakar and Pache's involvement in that, it was just all so interesting and surprising to have discovered this um in this book. And I I so I did really appreciate that, I'll say. Um what what's something that kind of maybe took you by the most surprise um, as you were in the process of writing this? Harvey? Well, I think one thing is to find out just that they went to London. Yeah. I mean, and the, just the, these guys, and they, we found out that 
you know, Snowgrove showed them a globe because they thought the world was flat. Mm. Well, they didn't know. Well, yeah. they, they didn't know the world was round. And so they were, to see a globe, they were uh, just amazed by that. And yeah. then there was, and uh, so, I, and the, the first time they saw the ocean, they they were just gobsmacked by that. Yeah. And then going to London, it's such a strange culture. They saw all these cultures that they they really didn't know anything about because Tibet had been so sealed off that they you just even though they were very smart and very learned, they just didn't have it just opened up so much for them. Yeah, and it you know all this was new to them, but then they they ended up just going with it, and just they couldn't even be contained. They just were traveling all over <laughs> Europe, and yeah, it's yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, went and got their own apartment, and, <laughs> yeah. and they just yes, very much so. I think one of the things that surprised me, one of the things that surprised me, was the involvement of the CIA. We had no idea. And so that was sent us down a whole nother um, trail to try to track all that down. But one of the things that I have to tell you that was was um, moved me the most, I think, was the uh, um, well, one the thing that moved me the most was the, all of the examples of the devotion that they have. They had to Tibet, to Bun, to yeah. each other. It just is, it just was over and over and over again. It was so evident, the the devotion that was um, in their souls. And the, um, the other piece, it was all of the times that, um, that we could have lost them. And we didn't. There's so many, whether it was magic or the protectors that came or, you know, I just, or the doors that were open for them, that, to see that over and over and over again, it was very um, inspiring. Their actions were inspiring, but the the coming together of the, of the of times when we could have lost them and we did it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I mean, you're thinking about like fleeing your home and yet you're carrying, you know, all these religious items and texts and all these things that, you know, are definitely, you know, making your journey harder. And it, yeah, just an amazing amount of devotion. Absolutely. Um. Okay, so either uh, you know, for any Bumpo who are listening to this, or or just for the average reader of the book, what is something else you would like to communicate? What would you like people to take away after reading this? Um, for me, it's just how extraordinary they are. How extraordinary the teachers were that our teachers or these people were and the how extraordinary bun is it's um, the, um this book for me 
working on it was a great inspiration. And that's sort of what I'm hoping that Bumpo's for sure will get out of it is the inspiration of the example of the of our teachers. Yeah. Extraordinary. Um, okay, I think it would be interesting to learn just a little bit more about you. You mentioned, you know, having taken teachings for years. Are you willing to tell us, Jackie and maybe Harvey, a little bit about your practice and your own relationship with Bone and maybe how that's grown over the years, especially as you've written this book? Well, I'll leave that to Jackie. I consider myself a, a secular Buddhist. Hmm. And so I am not a Bunpo. Hmm. <clears throat> Although I go to a lot of Bunpo functions and I have a lot of Bun friends and yeah. and and uh, so <clears throat> I think that's something that uh, Jackie can speak to better than I. Yeah, I I started around 2000, I think. Um, found Bun and or it found me, and then um, so my first formal teaching was in um was chama and mm. so that was in and then i wanted to well, i didn't want to double um and so i just started studying bun and i didn't find any reason to study anything else so i've been very fortunate living in houston uh we had a number of the back in that early 2000s, we would have four or five different teachers come through Houston and teach a year. And so I was very fortunate to receive teachings from a good number of people, Nima Dagpa and um, um, Geshe Yongdong and Ponlop has come through, uh, Tizawango Rinpoche, um, and then to travel to teachings elsewhere where I was able to have teachings from His Holiness and Young uh, Tenzin Namdok. So it's um, been um, quite the journey. And working on this book has strengthened my commitment, my dedication to the religion just because of it helped to know them ahead of time. So, but it was also then to hear their stories and how they connected. And it was such an inspiration. And so it has deepened my connection to the teachers and to the, and to Bun. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine. I, even reading this has, you know, strengthened my own connection to these teachers and has been very inspiring as well. So I, I, I really appreciate that. Um, just a kind of final question here. Um, how would you say that this book, for, for maybe for non-Bonpo, anyone who's open to just reading this and, and learning about this history, how would you say that the um, messages, themes, and and actually the, the historical facts of what took place in this book, um, how, how are these relevant to us today? Um, in, in the issues we're facing as our, in our world right now? I think it's relevant in, in several ways. I mean, one, <clears throat> you know, on a high level of abstraction, it's it tells us about Chinese oppression and of, because the Tibetan people are still under the boot hill of an authoritarian regime. And so we can 
see what they went through initially, and they're still living under that regime. Mm. That that's one thing. Then uh, on the second thing, it I think it uh, gets the word out about Bun. I mean, most people I can go, most people I meet, and they they ask me about the book, and I always ask them, "Have you ever heard of Bun?" And ninety percent of the time, they say no. What is that? Is that like a hot crust bun? <laughs> and and so, the, I I think it's, you know, it's one of the world's least known religions, and I think maybe this will help make it more known. And that's one thing that that I I hope happens. Uh, and then. On a third level, I think uh, just the examples of courage and uh, devotion that this shows, I think it, I think it's, you know, it was inspiring for me and I know it was, and they, for Jackie, and maybe I hope that some people who read it will, will pick up on that and how inspiring these individuals are. Absolutely, yeah. Um, do you want to add to that, Jackie? I think there's little tiny themes that run through it as well. For example, what are the um, what are the qualities of people who are able to manage disasters and survive through it? What you know, those kinds of things. Who are the survivors? We know, for example, that often when you survive, the first thing is luck. But beyond that, there are characteristics of things that people have, characters that people have, char characteristics that they have that allow them to survive. Mm -hmm. And then another thing was be the, um, the treatment of people that are in the middle of disasters and have to move. How did India support the uh, Tibetans? How did uh, Nepal support the Tibetans? What lessons can we learn about trying to support people who are having to migrate for out of a totalitarian regime or for climate reasons now? Because we're going to have a lot of this happening over the next few decades, I think. So those kinds of other things is so sort of lessons that w we can learn about people having to move, whether you're a person having to move or whether you're uh, in a situation where you have to try to help them welcome them in some place. So those are a couple of things. Yeah, no, that's, it comes back to, you know, their, you know, devotion, but hopefully kind of instilling not just devotion, but yeah, com compassion, empathy. I, I, yeah, it's, a, it's, uh, I think it can do that for sure. Um, I wanted to say one thing, Nick, because yeah. this is, um, your podcast uh, comes out of um, uh, Nimadakpa's um, Sangha, that he was uh, quite helpful in writing this book in terms that he gave us interviews about his, um, when his holiness went back to Tibet and the um, meeting with the abbot at the Minri Monastery in Tibet. And um, so it, it, he was quite um, an integral part of the um, filling out the stories here. So we were very grateful for him and his um, 
willingness to uh, share with us. Yeah. Yeah, no, those that was super interesting in the book too. So yeah, thank you for uh for, thank you for saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Um okay, well, for everyone listening, the book is Flight of the Boon Monks by Harvey Rice and Jackie Cole. Thank you both so much for speaking with me today. Uh any final words you'd like to share with listeners? Uh, uh, just our website, flightofthebunmonks.com. And you can go there and see some, um, we have some more information about who's in the book and also uh, some of the endorsements that we've received from other authors and reviews. So flytothebunmonks.com. And you can also uh, purchase the book on that website. There are links to uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble and other, other booksellers there. Yeah, including Inner Traditions, um, which Correct. is our publisher. Yes. Inner traditions are publishers. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for this chat today and I uh, wish you both well. And yeah, maybe we'll check in soon. Thank you. Thanks.